Welcome to Sportsbeat KC presented by Big O Tires. It's Wednesday, December 11th. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff, and we have a busy episode today. You're getting three segments. First, you'll hear from Kellis Robinette, who covers Kansas State. The Wildcats were invited to a bowl game on Sunday, as expected, but not the one they expected. Kellis tells us where K-State is going and why there was a bit of fan backlash in the aftermath of the announcement. Next, you'll hear from Patrick Mahomes. Wednesday is his day to meet the media. He covers topics like his hand injury, this week's counterpart, Broncos and former Mizzou and Lee Summit High quarterback Drew Locke, and his honest assessment on why the offense has been a bit sluggish in recent games. Next up, Sporting KC. The club made a huge acquisition this week, signing Mexican star Aline Polito with a transfer price tag of $9.5 million. We hear from Sporting KC coach Peter Vermees on the magnitude of the signing, and then we chat with star reporter Sean Goodwin, who covered the news. There's something for everyone today. Let's get started with Kellis Robinette on Kansas State. Kellis is here. How you doing, Kellis? I'm doing good, Blair. Pleasure as always. You know, it was, I really enjoyed reading your stuff over the last few days after the, well, leading up to the, the bowl announcement, Kansas State, and then, and then in the days after the announcement, K-State is heading to the Liberty Bowl to play Navy, and it, it, it's a newsworthy, <laughs> it was a newsworthy announcement. And I, I think the, the temperature of the Kansas State fans initially was a little, you know, a little disappointment. Has that changed at all since the Sunday announcement of, of the bowl destination? I think it has a little bit. Um, there are obviously some people who are still disappointed, but I think for the most part, people are warming up to the idea of Memphis a little bit. Navy is a you know an unusual opponent, somebody they wouldn't normally see. They're ranked in the top twenty-five, so. If Kansas State can go out there and win this game, that means the Wildcats would have a pretty good shot at ending up in the top 25 themselves, which is something they haven't done in a good long while. And, um, you know, there are some perks to Memphis. The game's on the 31st. It's not right around Christmas, so you don't have to decide whether you want to travel uh, and be away from family on December 25th. And it's an afternoon kickoff time. So unlike the Alamo Bowl, you can still go out and uh, have New Year's Eve night to yourself if you want it. And it's a, it's a drive fans can make. They can get to Memphis um, about nine hours from Manhattan. It would only be about seven from Kansas City. So there are definitely some perks. But at the same time, you look and see I-State playing Notre Dame in Orlando and Texas playing Utah and San Antonio, and there's definitely some jealousy still. I, I think that will probably stick around until the end of the ball season. Let's talk about how that happened and why – you know, Kansas State felt the way that or fans felt the way that they did in the math of the bowl. So after Oklahoma and, ba- and and Baylor finished one and two in in the Big Twelve final standing, and both of those schools were selected to play in the uh, in the college football playoff with or uh, Oklahoma was with Baylor in a New Year's Six Bowl in the Sugar Bowl. Well, that moved everybody up in the bowl pecking order, which meant. The bowls that you just said, uh, the Camping World Bowl in Orlando, the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio, uh, moved moved up, and, and and you know Big Twelve schools that might otherwise not have been available to those bowls became available to those, those bowls. And Kansas State, I think, felt going in, and and I know I uh, you know I read what you had written and heard from some Kansas State fans myself that 
that they believed that Orlando or San Antonio was a more likely destination. And, and I think as the, the, uh, as the day approached and the day unfolded, that Saturday of the college you know, championship games, that um, conference championship games, that San Antonio was seeming a little more likely. So what, what happened? In, in your mind, what, what happened and why did Kansas State end where it did? Well, it, it was definitely a weird deal um, on Friday when uh, Oregon beat Utah in the Pac-12 championship. That seemed to be a really good thing for Kansas State and seemingly, um, you know, paved the way for them to get to San Antonio or, or Orlando for one of those two games because it didn't look like the Pac-12 was going to the playoff and the Big 12 was. So like you just mentioned, that opened up a spot in one of those two bowls. And then a Saturday came around and Kansas State had had conversations with the Alamo Bowl. Um, their conversations were really good. Everybody in Manhattan thought they actually had the lead over Texas for that game. And as people went to bed um, Saturday night, it seemed, you know, I don't want to say like a done deal, but close to it. I mean, people here really, really thought it was going to be um, Kansas State versus Southern California in the Alamo Bowl, which would have been a pretty cool game and, and given um, to fans here a rematch of some of those games in the early 2000s when Pete Carroll was at USC and Bill Snyder was obviously coaching here. But then basically what changed was um, when the New Year's Six Bowl announced their picks, uh, Utah got snubbed from the mix. So all of a sudden, uh, the Alamo Bowl couldn't take USC anymore because Utah was the obvious number two uh, team out of the Pac-12, and you, you can't pass on them when they're sitting there. So for whatever reason, that completely changed the Alamo Bulls' uh, way of thinking. They they wanted K-State USC, but they didn't want K-State Utah. They were worried nobody would watch the game just because neither team has much of a brand name. And all of a sudden, basically at that point, they said, well, let's bring Texas into this because they've got a name. Um, you know, fans might spend the night, but they'll still come down and we'll have a good crowd and more people will watch Texas, Utah than K-State, Utah. All of a sudden that just, uh, sent every, sent a big old wrench into everything. And then all of a sudden the camping world bowl, which thought they were in Texas switched to Iowa state just because they thought their, uh, their fans might travel a little bit better. Texas, uh, the Texas bowl didn't want to have Texas A&M and Kansas state, uh, playing each other again, which is what we had a few years ago in Houston. So at that point, the only option was the Liberty Bowl, and it kind of just shows how uh, <laughs> how small the you know margin for error is in all those things. One little thing uh, goes wrong, and all of a sudden the team can go from one ball to another. Is there a uh, is there a value uh, in terms of perception for Kansas State in in um, or uh, because of where it ended up in the bowl game? I, I guess what I'm saying is. It's Kansas State can feel snubbed because of uh, of where it ended up going bowling and what the bowl pecking order is for for the Big Twelve. Is there a is there a value to to being snubbed? Is it hurt in recruiting? I guess is what I mean. Does it hurt in perception? Um, you know, is it uh, you know do, do schools get over it after a few days and it really doesn't have any any impact? I I, I have noticed what Gene Taylor, the athletic director, has been saying. You know, since then he's been encouraging people to buy tickets, and I saw the the photos today of fans lining up to to buy tickets. So, what was, is there any damage to perception when you when a school ends up in a bowl that uh, um, that might not seem or they, they they might might not seem what they uh, what they deserved? There might be some, um, but I would say it would be a bigger deal falling from like a major bowl 
to a second-tier bowl. Like, in 1998, when Kansas State went from almost playing the national championship game to falling all the way down to the Alamo Bowl, I think something like that hurts. Um, but I don't know that this is exactly that. Um, all, all four teams that we had mentioned for those games were all tied for third in the Big 12 standings. And does a recruit at home really care about the difference between the Alamo Bowl and the Liberty Bowl? Um, probably not. Um, like I said, fans are warming up to it a little bit. The only thing you really miss out on is if it would have gotten the invite to say Orlando to the Camping World Bowl, could have had a you know a once in a once in a lifetime kind of deal opportunity to play Notre Dame, which I think people probably would have noticed that a little bit more than anything else. But other than missing out on that, I don't know that there's any long term effect. I mean, while the coaches are out recruiting players right now, I'm sure they're just uh, hitting them over the head with the fact that they're the only team in the country that beat one of the four playoff teams this year. Um, and I think they probably value that more than, you know, the difference between the Liberty Bowl and the Alamo Bowl. And we'll, we'll see what happens on December 31st. If Kansas State wins the game, this would be, you know, a foot at the end of the season. I don't think anybody will care. If they lose or lose badly, then maybe maybe people will make a bigger stink about it. We'll, we'll have to see. Did you notice the uh, the little social media back and forth between Iowa State and Kansas State fans after Jamie Pollard, the Iowa State athletic director, actually tweeted a congratulations to Kansas State for you know for apparently seeming enthusiastic about selling the Liberty Bowl tickets. I, I did notice that, and um, yeah, Farmageddon is turning into a nice little <laughs> underrated rivalry here. I mean, uh, pretty much ever since. I mean. Uh, the whole week leading up to the game they played here with Iowa State coming in as the favorite, there was some really good back and forth on social media. And then when Kansas State won the game, it kind of went their way. They were hammering Iowa State fans all week, and now Iowa State gets the uh, you know the better bowl out of the deal, so it's switched back. It's It's been pretty fun to watch online, and um, I, I think at this point it's pretty fair to say Iowa State's the number two rival in Manhattan right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Hey, let's turn our attention to the opponent. We you, you, you mentioned Navy earlier and touched on some of the attributes of Navy. It's uh, it, Kansas State finds itself in a very rare position of getting to scout live scout an opponent for a bowl game this weekend with with Army playing Navy. What what are the what are the Wildcats going to see when they when they see the midshipmen this weekend? Well, they're going to see a lot of triple option, uh, and, uh, you know, that's one thing that'll help that both Navy and Army run the same offense. So if you're a defender on Kansas State and you need some clues or some tips on how to defend a triple option, you're going to see it for four straight quarters on Saturday. And, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. How often does that happen when the bowl announcement comes out and then you can sit down and actually watch the team play a live game? Um, I think that'll actually work to Kansas State's advantage, a team that doesn't go up against this style of offense very much. Um, but that, it sounds kind of crazy because you would think with a triple option offense that maybe doesn't score a lot of points and games are real short. And while the games might not you know, last three and a half hours like some you've seen in the Big 12, their games have actually been pretty high scoring. Um, maybe scored 34-plus in more than half of their games. They've got a good offense. They've got a capable defense. They're ranked 21st in the country. Um, they're really good at taking care of business against teams they should beat. Um, they, have, they do have two losses, one against Memphis, one against Notre Dame, both were by double digits. So that makes you think, uh, you know, Kansas State, if they come in and, and play their style, maybe they can do the same thing. But uh, I'm very intrigued. Uh, you don't get to see um, teams around here play 
uh, service academies very often. They're the only ones that run the triple option offense. So I, I'm actually looking forward to it. I This is something I would say I really haven't seen much of before. And look, Navy is nine, you know, nine, you mentioned the two losses. This nine and two record comes from, uh, you know, a, a team in a conference that's had a very nice season. Cincinnati, Memphis, and Navy are all in the top 25 right now. Temple had a terrific season. You know, SMU had a, had a great season. They've won 10 games. This is a conference that includes Central Florida, which has been in a, a uh, you know, college football playoff bowl each of the last couple of years. So, this is not, um, you know, this, this, don't don't be fooled by the conference that Navy plays in. This is they they played in a very very good conference this year and and collected some some nice victories o- along the way. Um, and I noticed in your, you know, uh, things to watch with uh, with Navy. There's a Kansas City kid um, who's who's a, who's a player, not only a player but a big contributor for. For Navy, uh, Jacob Springer, a a, a, def- a defensive player, they opposition. They call him a striker, I think. Um, yeah, I wasn't he, sure what they meant by that. <laughs> I think about that one for a while. But seven sacks, and he and he went to Parkville South High School, uh, graduated in 2017. So it'll be fun to know at least one uh, local product playing for for Navy. All right, Callis, I said we weren't going to touch on basketball beforehand, but I think we need to touch on it. And all right. um all right, so that they had an opportunity in the you know, to come back from the 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 two losses suffered in the tournament at Fort Myers. They defeated uh, as expected Florida A and M and then another grand opportunity presented itself against Marquette on Saturday night and Kansas State could not take advantage of it. Where where is the program right now? What what's the feeling um, uh, about K State basketball? Where it is and and what the potential is? Well, um, I mean, there's a pretty good amount of pessimism around the team right now. I think the players themselves and the coaches are still optimistic they can get things turned around. But uh, at five and three without a victory over you know a, a decent team so far, you have to start wondering. Um, were, were the Big 12 coaches right when they picked them to finish ninth in the, the preseason poll? Um, so if, if you look at their Ken Palm rating, they're at 84 now, which is by far the worst Big 12. Uh, he's only got them projected to win 14 games all season. And, you know, I wouldn't write them off just yet. There have been plenty of examples in the past where Bruce Weber's teams uh, struggle out of the shoot and get, get their act together around Christmas and then go on to have an okay season. I think that's still... Uh, you know, possible here. They've just got too much talent to, to, you know, just give in and go winless in the Big 12 or something like that. But they've definitely got some things that they need to sort out. It's uh, just been striking to me how much they they missed the shooters they had last season and Jamal Stokes, Barry Brown, Dean Wade. Um, I probably naively thought that uh, Cartier Jada, Xavier Sneed, and even a freshman like Dejuan Gordon would be able to step in and shoot the ball and, and get some points a little bit easier than they have. But man, this team just, for whatever reason, they can't they can't shoot from three, they can't shoot from two. They're not very good from the free throw line, and it, until they get that figured out, um, it's hard to you know project them to win too many games. They'll they'll probably beat Alabama State tonight. Then after that, they got Mississippi State, St. Louis, and Tulsa. And at this point, any one of those wins would be their best win of the season. So the time is out. They want to get it turned around, and we'll, I guess, just have to wait and wait see if they can. Very good, Kellis. Hey, it was great catching up, and we will talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Larry.
The biggest sale of the year is happening now at Big O Tires. Buy two tires, get two free on select tires in stock. That's two free tires when you buy an alignment and tire protection package. That's 50% off tires at Big O Tires. It's going on now, but it all ends soon. Buy two tires, get two free at all participating Big O Tires. Installation additional, plus shop fee of up to 10% of non-discounted retail price, not to exceed $35. Hurry, sale ends Monday, December 23rd. The Broncos are on tap for the Chiefs on Sunday. What did Patrick Mahomes have to say about the game, his recent play, and other topics? Here he is in his usual Wednesday day at the podium. How are you doing? Good, good. Denver Broncos, how different are they this time around? Obviously, a young quarterback offensively, but how different are they? Are they playing with more confidence? Yeah, I mean, as far as I mean, they, defensively, they they've always had a, a really good defense that uh, that's going to cause problems and, and do stuff that we're going to have to uh, answer. And so for us, it's about going out there and uh, keep building, keep getting better each and every week. And and we understand now that with the, how how their quarterbacks playing, uh, they're playing energized. And so we're excited for the, the a great opportunity against a, a great opponent in Arrowhead. It's it's doing better. I mean, a lot of the swellings went out in these last two days, uh, and so I was able to throw the football around today, and I'm excited to go out and practice and be able to spin it around there. But uh, definitely, it was a little little scary after the game when it when it was when it was a little bit uh, the bruised and the swelling and stuff like that. But as uh, we've kind of done more and more treatment, uh, the swellings went away, so I was able to throw the football and everything. You'll, you'll do your normal load in practice today. Yeah, that's that's what we're gonna try to do. I mean, that that's that's the plan. Uh, we're gonna go out there and just test it out and see where I'm at. But uh, uh, as far as throwing, I, I was able to throw and do everything like that and take snaps from under center, so I'm excited to be able to get out there and practice. What is the treatment for a hand, Patrick? I mean, it, icing, encasing it in ice, or what, what, is, what do you do? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of different hand exercises and icing and, and everything. I mean, just like anything else, any other uh, bone or muscle, you get to kind of just get that swelling out uh, and, and do that first, and then once that's out, you can kind of do more and more to build the strength back up. Does it hurt enough that it makes you forget about the knee and ankle? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm just trying to take care of my body in general and just making sure that I'm as healthy as I can be every single week. And uh, the training staff does a great job of that. And so we'll make sure we still rehab everything and make sure I'm ready to go. Last couple of days with throwing around, have you been able to grip the ball normally or still having to adjust a little bit? Yeah, today was probably the first day I was able to really uh, get a grip on it. Uh, I was able to kind of flick it around uh, yesterday, but today was probably the first day where I was able to really grip the ball and throw it and could actually drive the ball a little bit downfield. Back in camp, you had this joke with McColl to keep running. It was on social media. Just how far do you think he's come as you've seen him develop you know, as a rookie year? Yeah, he's, he's grown every single week. And I, I mean, that's what you what you ask for in a, in a rookie. I mean, the, he, it's a hard offense to learn. And whenever he's getting his opportunities, he's making the most of it. And so uh, I, he's still getting better each and every week. Obviously, he's, he's super talented. He can make plays when he, when he, gets, the, when he gets the ball in his hands. So uh, uh, we're going to keep utilizing him in the best way possible. And uh, hopefully, he keeps scoring touchdowns. Have you and Drew Locke ever crossed paths? Uh, I don't think I've actually got to to meet him. I've kind of went to some of the same QB coaches, and, of course, he's from Kansas City. So uh, I'm sure we will at some point. But uh, he's a a great quarterback with a lot of talent, and I got to watch him when he was at Missouri and everything like that. Do you relate to his experience a little bit, Patrick, as a a young quarterback, seeing him get his first first – games out there and have success yeah I mean obviously he got the he's like he kind of like me he got to sit behind a, a veteran quarterback that's had a lot of success in the NFL and so he's got to learn a lot and uh, you can see it now I mean he, the way he's able to kind of go about the process and do everything and, and get in there and have success and so uh, you understand that you have to learn as much as possible in a short amount of time so that when you get your opportunity you can make the most of it I know it's that's the other side of the ball but what does it say about Frank that he's been pushing through this you know for the defensive side there 
yeah, it just shows the competitor that he is. And uh, him and Tyron and Chris Jones and all these guys that that they just compete every single day. They want to they want to be the best. They want to get better each and every day. And you have to have that as a mentality of a team if you want to get to the goals that you set at the beginning of the season. He was sick, I guess, right? I had the stomach thing or something. Did, when someone's sick. And you're in the locker room. You guys spend so much time together. You guys just kind of avoid him. You want to get. No one wants to get sick because we've seen some teams where seven or eight guys are sick. Yeah, I think uh, you just try to do whatever you can to, with the Germex and keeping your hands clean and doing as much as possible. I mean, Rick and them do a good job of kind of giving us these baselines and then keeping those guys kind of. I don't want to say quarantine, but where they can they can get better and not not hurt anyone else. And so you just trust in the process of uh, of what they do every single day. Travis Kills. Oh, sorry, uh, have you learned anything about Frank Clark in your year now with him as a teammate? Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, he's he's a he's a true competitor. I think is the biggest thing. I mean, obviously he has confidence and and he, he loves the game of football. But the way he's able to get on the field and do whatever it takes in order to get a win, if that's stopping the run, or if that's pass rush, or or just holding down his gap, or whatever it is, he just wants to win. And so uh, you you want guys like that on your team. Uh, you want guys that'll do every, whatever it takes to win a football game. What do you remember about him from that game uh, last year in Seattle? Did, did, did he have much to say <laughs> that night, or what do you remember about that? Yeah, he, he that you have to know where he's at on every single play. I think it was the, the biggest thing. I mean, we have two great tackles, and 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 he was around the quarterback a lot just because of the type of player that he is. I don't think he sacked me, but he grabbed me a couple times. So I'll uh, I kind of hold that on him a little bit. Travis Kelsey's on the verge of making history in the NFL. He's just 11 yards shy of a thousand for the year, and four straight thousand yard seasons, and no tight end has ever done that. For you to be a part of it for these last couple of seasons, just what does it mean to you, and how is your relationship with them progress from when you first got here and, and sat behind Alex to where it is now. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing with Travis is. He 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 does all these great things, and but the the type of person that he is is the is the the greatest thing that he could do. I mean, the way he's able to try to help everyone out, try to get everyone else open, and then whenever his number is called, he just makes the play and does whatever he can to to move the chains or to score the touchdown and help the team. I mean, he he is a, a true just a great person and obviously a great player. Can you speak to his touchdown on Sunday? What he had to do in uh, in terms of the read and the execution that he pulled off on, on the rushing touchdown? Uh, it, it was funny because we watched the highlights of him in Cincinnati when they, where he was running the same type of plays. And so, yeah, he, he pulled it. He had to kind of read the end. He pulled it, counted the numbers, got the number count and everything like that. And then he actually cut it back and, and, and found a way to get in the end zone. I, I like to take it in assist, though, because I kind of held the backside linebacker with, with my fake. <laughs> <laughs> does, he, does he then, like, just in just say, okay, see what I can do after a play like that, like brag, bragging? No, he, he really doesn't. I think that's the – it's just kind of who he is. I mean, he, he, he just loves the game. He loves being a part of the – part of the team and, and you can see it with how he runs his routes he's always running hard he's always trying to get everyone else open and then whenever uh he gets his number called he makes plays a couple more guys patrick two two things one how strange was it for you to get called for the face mask the other day and, and i mean how much did you almost break your finger on that situation? yeah uh it definitely was different. Uh, I obviously don't want to have my hand in anyone else's face mask, and probably not even my own. So I tried. I was trying to get it out as quickly as possible, uh, but uh, luckily it didn't hurt us too bad. But uh, it, it was definitely a weird, deal, weird deal. And then the other thing, it, it might sound like a funny question because you've had a lot of points and three straight wins, but but the offense, in a lot of ways, has seemed a little bit out of sync the last three games. I wonder what you'd attribute that to, or if you agree. 
Yeah, I think it's it's just not execution at high enough level, uh, and it starts with me. I feel like there was times in the game where I could have maybe stepped up and bought in a little extra time at, or stayed in the pocket, and I think there's just times, if you look back at last year, where I drift back and don't do the same things that I do at the beginning of the year, and so I'm really focusing in this week on the fundamentals, like I've kind of been saying these last few weeks, but just trying to find a way to where I can, I can help out the offensive line because they're doing their job of kind of walling those guys around, and I can step up in the pocket and hit these guys and give them time to run routes. Why does that happen late in the year, do you think? Are you just kind of tired? or it was something reflexively kicks in? Yeah, it's just that's how I've always been. Uh, since I was in high school, I kind of sometimes would rely on my arm and rely on these back foot throws. And, I mean, those are all cool and everything like that. But you want to make sure that you're still doing the fundamentals because whenever you get to the end of the season, you're going to have to step up and make these big-time throws. And I want to make sure that my fundamentals are, the, are there in the right way. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Here's a portion of Peter Vermees teleconference introducing standout Aline Polito from Mexico. After Vermees, you'll hear from Sean Goodwin, who covered the event for the Star. Peter, um, Paul Sonorio from The Athletic here. Um, I want to loop back to kind of what you started talking about at the beginning um, with MLS 1.0, MLS 2.0, and now 3.0. You guys were one of the leaders of the league in MLS 2.0, investing in the stadium, the training facility, uh, winning trophies at the U.S. Open Cup, MLS Cup. Um, does this signing maybe signal, hey, in order to stay where we want to be in MLS 3.0, first team spending has to go up? And, and do you think it sends a signal um, around the league that, you know, because of the spending that's going on at the higher levels, everyone's going to have to kind of up, up the first team spending in order to, to compete uh, regularly? I think, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good question. I think there's no doubt that, obviously, the spending is here, and, and with spending comes higher quality players usually. But I also think that, obviously, you have to be very careful because um, – just because you go spend a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean that the player is going to work. I think you have to find players that fit the way that you want to play. They have to want to play in the environment that, that you provide. Um, and they also have to come with the, the mentality to win. And so, um, uh, you know, wh- one of the reasons I think um, that we necessarily haven't um, spent in the same uh, framework as some of the other clubs is is we probably just won't. We'll probably always be behind them. We'll probably always be behind them because we're a small market. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that necessarily means that you're not trying to compete or win. I also think that it's been it's been a little bit more difficult for us to find players that fit us. Um, as I stated earlier, I think, you know, there's been a lot of players that have come to our league. The only place they wanted to play was, you know, for uh, a team in California or a team in New York. I think those things are changing because people are seeing that our league, um, again, with 26 teams, uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there for a lot of different players. And I think, 
you know, even Alan making the decision to come to us, I think has a lot to do with um, a lot of other things that we can offer, but also knows that we're, we have been and will continue to be a competitive team uh, and gives an opportunity to try to win. And, and I think that's an important aspect, and we will continue to try to be um, at least a team that's competitive year after year. And to do that, you know, to answer your question, to be really specific, I think at, at, at certain areas of field, at, at times when you don't – have or you can't develop that player, you're going to have to go and purchase that player. Hey, Peter. Uh, Sean Goldman, Kansas City Star. How do you see Allen fitting into your team tactically and going off that? Do you, will we see a variation from the typical 4-3-3 or are you going to stick with that heading forward? I, I think I'll answer the first question. It's simple. I think he's, 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 uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a striker up top. Um, uh, as I said before, uh, I know everybody has their own opinions of, of how players play in certain formations, but it's simple. He'll be in the middle of the park for us. Um, I, I think, again, he's an easy guy to play through. Um, but I love his, his courage in and around the box. Uh, I love the way that he he's not afraid to get in on really tough situations um, where he'll stick his, you know, his nose on the end of a ball and at the same time he can hit the strike from distance as well. So... Um, it's pretty simple. He's going to play center forward for us. Sean Goodwin writes uh, about Sporting Kansas City for the Star. Sean, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, Bill? I'm good. You went, or I, I guess they didn't have a press conference. It was a teleconference, right, with yep. Peter Vermees and, and the latest acquisition, mm-hmm. Alan Polito. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Alan Polito. I think he pronounces more... <laughs> Alain please out, but yeah. you know, is how it is. What is uh, this was big? This is big news for sporting. Mm. Uh, what, what's the significance of this? Uh, significance, I mean, not just for sporting, but for MLS as a whole. I think it's being wisely kind of reported that the predict not predicted, but the, the fear was around nine and a half million. Uh, sporting in uh, history of you know spent about four million on. Um, players alone so one you've smashed the transfer record fee but looking at the team as itself we saw the struggles last year given not really has an out and out goal scorer since 2016 with Dom Dwyer and we've seen that struggle these last couple of years so to finally get a guy of Polizzo's talent in there uh, you know we should see something a bit more bright and more attack minded play from Sporting next year so uh, he played in uh, Liga MX mm-hmm. Or uh, Guadalajara, right? Yeah. And what, what were his number? What are the significant numbers there? What, he was goal scorer, like goal you said. Scorer, yeah. Um, in between, so he went there uh, 2016, and the three years he played there, he scored 41 goals. Don't quote me on that, but around that area. Uh, but most recently, he scored uh, 12 goals in 18 games in their last Liga MX campaign. Uh, and I guess if you look at you know, other top goal scorers who've came to MLS. Uh, the last guy from Liga MX was Rui Diaz with the Sounders. He was uh, goal, right. top goal scorer there. And uh, since then, he's been killing it for the Sounders. So, not saying a pair of players are, you know, going to follow the exact same path, but certainly a solid omen to have such a talented player in Liga MLS. Liga MX come over to the MLS. Right. That's what, yeah. to, to me, that's what's significant to yeah. have a player of this caliber here. Sporting had invested a total of what, four and a half million four, four, yeah. in in uh, in transfers, mm-hmm. and they've more than doubled that with uh, with Polito. Um, what is it about 
MLS that um, that might be attractive to interna- some international players? Mm-hmm. You know, I think obviously as the league is growing, they're kind of figuring out a bit more, not just from the play standpoint, but the money standpoint as well. In that the league as, a, as in itself is you know giving teams more time money and allowing teams to spend. You know, more money on these kinds of players but typically in the past you see foreign players go just typically interested in you know the big cities getting a lot of Red Bulls Galaxy LAFC um, but luckily for sports in KC you gave at least got that history of success which is I think that was a huge draw at least for maybe a, a team in the heartlands was to still be able to pull a guy who plays those talents here and I think now that puts Kansas City in that next next league I guess would go with the big boys give me that big spending jump and I think they should be here to stay this is a move that is made with uh, improvement is expected mm-hmm. I mean this sporting will be expected to be a better club next yeah. season because of this yeah I think my thing with Polizo is you know Christian game was first in tier when Greece but obviously last year he still picked up eight goals but one of those it was a hat-trick in one game uh, he had a long streak of not scoring at all and I think the problem with him was the ball had to go through him but then he didn't work too off the wingers were shallow in game of Jer so you can name anyone who plays on the wing and the difference we've got with Polizo now is you know he plays that number, number nine role but he's a lot quicker on his feet he's better to play you know the ball through him he can drop back a little bit and he's still going to allow those wingers like you know someone as talented as Russell to cut in size and you didn't really have that with Namath and I think you saw with when Hitardo played every now and again last year you kind of got a little sense to get back right so I think with Polito as the outing out you know number nine striking out we should see a lot more next season well, if nothing else, sporting certainly got more interesting with, mm, yes. with this signing. Yes. Sean, it was great to see you, man. Thanks and for stopping by. Time. Thank you. That wraps up a busy day for Sports Beat KC, sponsored by Big O Tires. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let us know with a rate and review. And a shout out to St. Polyboy26, who posted some kind words on Apple Podcasts. The Sportsbeat KC staff appreciates that. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Big thanks to producer Derek Donovan, who stitched together all of these recordings around hosting a Facebook Live today. Well done, Derek. We'll be back on Thursday talking Chiefs, first at a Facebook Live from Big O Tires in Raytown, and later, magically, turned into a podcast. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.